Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was written by J.K. Rowling and was published in 2007. And the film adaptation uh, was directed by David Yates, and part one came out in 2010. And as you can tell from our titles, this is the first part of a two-episode series because there is so much to discuss in these books. Yes, and we really... God, we've just loved doing uh, these adaptations so much. We're like, let's drag it out for as long as we possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, this will be a two-parter. We will only be discussing the book aspects that correlate with the first part of the film. Yeah. And... Uh, as we have done in the past with uh, Harry Potter episodes because of the ignorant and frustrating views of the author. We are donating our Patreon earnings from the month to a local uh, trans-focused organization in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the Uh, organization is called uh, Sisters mm -hmm. PGH um, and works with the trans community, specifically the black trans community here in Pittsburgh. And this is just you know, a small way for us to show that, like, you know, we still want to enjoy this content yeah, that was yeah. created, but, like, we need to pay it forward and also make a statement against, you know, J.K. Rowling and her transphobic comments and views and the way that she's used her platform to cause a lot of pain and harm towards an already harmed community. So we really encourage you as well, if you love Harry Potter and you feel uncomfortable about what the author has stated previously and her views, you know, just make a donation to your local trans-focused organization. There are a lot of really great local organizations doing the important work out there that could use some assistance. Yeah. And then tweet at JK Rowling that you have done so. Exactly. To frustrate her. (laughs) Yes. Every time you reread a Harry Potter book, like donate to a trans-focused organization. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great balancing act. Yeah. Um, And she would hate that. She would hate that. (laughs) And you can just feel good about that, you know, when you're falling asleep at night. Just be like, I frustrated JK Rowling today. (laughs) Uh, We also, if, you know, being a patron sounds interesting at all, uh, we have a lot of great uh, things for patrons. We have bonus episodes that come out monthly that are on a number of topics, but exclusively for patrons. Yeah. Priority recommendations, monthly schedules, and we are doing a couple new things as well. Yes. Yeah, so we are launching a Discord channel or server. I'm, server. New, to, I'm new to Discord. I am as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is for patrons only. And that's going to be a place where we can discuss recent episodes. We can talk about books we're reading, movies we're watching. We can just kind of hang out and get to know each other a little bit better. It's kind of like our idea of what we want Patreon to be, but it's not quite there. So Discord is a is a way for us to do that. Yeah, and we're super excited about it. We're also going to be uh, sharing a lot more stories on our uh, Instagram stories. Yes. Uh, but to our close friends, a.k.a. patrons. Yes. So if you, that also sounds interesting, uh, consider becoming a patron. Yep. Behind the scenes stuff, just more of me and Ian living our stupid lives and <laughs> reading books and watching movies and things that we're up to on the day-to-day. We just bought a house, so you might see some behind-the-scenes Yeah, uh, our life and our new place and everything like that. And if those things sound interesting or appealing to you, you can access all of this sweet, sweet content by becoming a patron and for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to all of this really great stuff. Yes. 
And if none of that sounds interesting, don't worry, we're done talking about it. We're going to talk about <laughs> Harry Potter it's now. It's time for Harry Potter. <laughs> let's talk about Harry Potter. So let's start uh, talking about this book and this film. And we have some ambient thunderstorms going on right yes. now in the background, if you hear anything. Um, but let's actually mention the movie first. I think the movie has a really cool beginning. Yeah, it, it does. It really sets the tone. Before we even get like the title at mm-hmm. all, we get this introduction of a uh, Scrimgower. Scrim, I'm glad you remember how to say his name. You were the one who knew it Did last I? time. <laughs> yeah, you were the one who was like so confident, and I was the one doubting. And now I remember, and so we've switched. Great. <laughs> uh, played by Bill Nye. Yeah. And I mean, look, he is. This is. The only film in the series that he's in. Yeah. As the Minister of Magic. But I mean, he he's does so much. He's channeling Winston Churchill in this like speech, I feel yeah. like, you know? He's kind of got this weird quivering kind of, but like strong delivery yeah. in his speech. It's so good. Yeah. For as little time as he gets on screen, he does so much with each line. Yeah. And then we get some flashes of Harry, Hermione, and Ron. Kind of, we can tell they're preparing for something, and we know it's going to be the events of this movie. And then we get the scene with Snape and Voldemort mm-hmm. kind of discussing how Harry will make his exit from his childhood home. And like they have someone that they're killing. It's like a whole like <laughs> villain scene. You know, it's really funny because I remember the scene in the film and they were like, oh, she was a professor at Hogwarts. And like, obviously it was someone you don't really see ever, but I no. remember thinking like, oh, well, she's probably a lot more prominent in the books, right? No. No. <laughs> I think I read she was mentioned once in like the third book. Yeah. That was like it. Yeah, just a random throwaway character that we get to see murdered. But all of this is before the title sequence comes up in the movie. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, it really gives. And if I remember right, the um, next film does a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of just adding this uh, overwhelming or kind of menacing presence. You know what I mean? Kind of this dramatic flair for Mm -hmm. these movies in particular. I think it's uh, I think it works really well. Yeah. And I want to talk about the book too. how the book begins. It begins similarly with the Voldemort scene. But then we get a scene where the Dursleys are packing up to leave because it's not safe for them anymore to be at this house. Voldemort knows Harry is there. And so they're leaving. And this is actually, there was a movie scene that involved this, but it was cut from the theatrical release. Yeah. But there's this scene between Harry and Dudley that I really, really liked. Yeah, where, you know, they're packing up to leave and... Harry has to keep convincing his uncle that, like, yes, you will be murdered if you don't go. Please go. Yeah. Um, But Dudley is actually confused because at first, you know, when they're leaving and he's like, well, well, what about Harry? Why isn't he coming with us? And just kind of establishing that Harry's been, I mean, for better or worse, like a brother in his life. Yeah. His whole life. And now they're parting ways. And, mm-hmm. and I think Dudley's like the most impacted by this in a way. Yeah. Um, And specifically, he's like, you saved my life. Mm -hmm. And it's a really sweet moment because Dudley approaches Harry and shakes his hand. I think it's perfect because it's not overdone. I completely agree. You know, it's not Dudley being like, I should have treated you better or I'm sorry. It's just kind of him being like, I see you as a person and I'm sorry to see you go. Yeah. And I kind of wish you the best. 
Yeah, and I think the uh, J.K. Rowling has been like overly unfair to Dudley yes. in his portrayal over the years. Because, and we've like, talked about that. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, he's like a shitty kid, right? Yeah. But he's still a kid. Yeah. And like when you have shitty parents, like, of course you're going to be shitty, but that's not necessarily your fault. Yeah. And I really love Reminding this. you of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> There's so many comparisons to uh, Roald Dahl. I know. And J.K. Rowling, you know, that we've made in the past. But like... Um, yeah, just like kind of hinting at at least the idea or the possibility that Dudley may grow up into a better person than his parents did. Yeah. And I like that. It's just a hint, a glimmer of hope. Yeah. There was also a cut scene in the film where Aunt Petunia yeah. is talking to Harry about like, you know, I also lost a sister that day. Yeah. But like, you know what? Uh, fuck her. Like, I don't want to hear any shit <laughs> no. from her. She had plenty of chances. Yeah. I don't like. I, I, I don't know. I just wasn't here for it. I'm like, just get them out. I don't care about the aunt and uncle at all. Yeah. But then the Order of the Phoenix members arrive and they have a plan to get Harry out of the Dursley house because, I don't know, it's some magic, you know, the, the special clause and the magical contract <laughs> that Lily signed when she got killed instead of Harry. <laughs> <laughs> and the blood of Petunia. Uh-huh. You know how I And works. you see, they've established so many means of magical uh, uh, tra- teleportation at yes. this point that they have to come up with this really contrived thing about like, well, the flu networks are being monitored. And Harry so is- can't operate because of the the trace. Yep. Yeah. And but like for some reason, like port keys are OK, but they can't do a port key directly to the from borough? the house. I don't know. Like I'm like, all right, all right. I just get to it. Get to okay. it. Come on. <laughs> but this is an excellent scene where we get um, a bunch of different people taking Polyjuice potion to be Harry. You know, Ron, Hermione, Fred and George, Fleur, other people. It's great. It is such a fun scene. And I remember how fun, just because, like, I have a much better memory for the films than I do for the books. But, like, I just remember how fun it is in the film. Yeah. And I was really surprised by, like, how many of the great lines uh, from the film came from the book directly. I know. We're identical. We're identical. (laughs) Fred and George's. I mean, that line is just chef's kiss. It's so funny. Or Fleur being like, don't look at me, Bill. I'm hideous. (laughs) Also, just the fact that Daniel Radcliffe was like playing all of them, that he was getting undressed like in a bra and everything. And he's like taking on the mannerisms of all the other people. It's a really cool scene to see like Daniel Radcliffe get to do something a little different, which I I totally agree. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, it gives me like Buffy, the vampire slayer vibes. Cause in that show, they were constantly playing different versions of characters. And like that scene in the sixth movie, when he gets to be, uh, under the influence of the lucky charm, a.k.a. Yeah. high as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, they get this plan together. They're all going to leave, going in different directions for different port keys so that yeah. they don't go directly to the borough. Well, we have to mention how the movie has to catch us up on so much yes. in this exact scene, which is so awkward to watch. It really is. Like, it's like, oh, hi, I'm Bill, because we've never met Bill before. I was going to say, have we really not no. met Bill? No, they never had him in the movies. You know, I think he was supposed to be introduced in the fifth, mm. 
But the fifth was kind of like really pared down. Okay. Um, and then they're like, when do we introduce him? And they're like, well, he's getting married. We really need him now. Also, why even bother with the werewolf thing? I don't know. Like... They shouldn't have mentioned it. No, just don't fucking mention it. Like, I get, like, uh, I'm sure some fans would be really upset about Bill not having the werewolf thing, but, like... But instead, it's just him being like, hi, I'm Bill. Also, I was attacked by the werewolf. Also, I, like, my steak's bloody, but I'm fine. Like, jeez. And They're then, like, yeah, this is how he introduces himself ever since the attack. It's kind of really annoying. <laughs> and then we find out that, like, uh, Tonks and... Remus are expecting a baby. But they don't ever get to say it, do they? No. And I was actually trying to remember in the second movie, I'm like, do they ever? I don't. Say it? I don't know. I don't think they do. I don't think so either. We also get a super quick introduction to Mundungus, um, who like plays a more pivotal role in this film, at least. Yeah. So like put a little more emphasis on him and like not Bill at this moment. Yeah, I don't know. It's just very awkward. It is, absolutely. Uh, so they all take the polyjuice potion, they turn into Harry's, and they're all going to escape. Yeah. Harry is riding with Hagrid. It's kind mm-hmm. of a touching moment because it's in the motorcycle that Hagrid dropped Harry off in. Yeah, and then that touching moment is interrupted by all of them being attacked by Death Eaters. Hedwig gets murdered straight away, which I'm convinced J.K. Rowling just didn't know how to write her into the rest of the story. I had the exact (laughs) same thought. I was like, was this just to like... Because wouldn't they be able to communicate with everyone? Yeah. I mean... Ron has an owl that he could have brought. No, but I know. like I did wonder. I was like, was this just for convenience sake to make them more isolated in yeah. l- later on in the story? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> and then Harry in the book does the Expelliarmus spell, which reveals him to everyone because they're like, no one else in the world does the Expelliarmus. Yeah, spell. that whole thing <laughs> I thought was better in the film just because like Hedwig protected Harry which is what gave him away yeah I do like the film chase scene though uh just seeing like the the rocket booster on the motorcycle them going through like the the highway tunnel uh it was very exciting and I enjoyed it quite a bit yeah and then Voldemort arrives and Harry's wand does some weird shit that is never explained is it not explained in the book either? Or no, we, it, I, or maybe we didn't get to this part in the book. We've only read like three fourths of the book so far. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am not like I'm especially not the freshest uh, yeah. on this book. But yeah, because um, Harry claims that like his wand acted on its own to protect him. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, Harry, that's not possible. It's like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I haven't gotten to any explanation and. By the end of this film, his wand is broken and it's still not explained. Here's my annoyance with this. Yeah. Um, Whether it was explained or not, like, okay, at first Harry had his mother's protection on him. Yeah. That stopped him from being murdered by Voldemort. And it also allowed him to To kill a man (laughs) with his bare hands in the first film. Man, we're really calling back to previous films. We we are. We are. (laughs) Um, And then after that, uh, Voldemort's like, I have your blood now. I can't touch you. Uh, but then the wands, the wands, they each had the same core of their wands. And that like protected Harry yeah. as well in the fourth book. Um, now, so, Voldemort has a different yeah, wand. So Voldemort's like, I'm not doing that shit again. <laughs> Give me a different wand. Yeah. Huh? Right. Yeah. And then I'll be fine. And then this thing happens. 
which once again is just protecting Harry with like for out- no reason. Yeah, and I'm like, stop protecting him with all the like. I could have accepted like up until the core of the wand thing. Yeah, this is just it's one too it's many. Beyond it is. Yeah, uh, but it does save him. Yeah, and they manage to get safely to. In the book, they get to Tonks' parents' house and yeah. then port key to the burrow. Yeah. And in the movie, the burrow seems different. Like they maybe they rebuilt it because in the last movie. Yes. It, it got catches on fire. Down. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to like look carefully at it. I'm like, is it different? I think it's different, but I'm it's not hard to say. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, they're at the burrow. They're waiting for everybody to come back and they find out that Mad Eye Moody is dead. He was killed during the fight. And then George's ear got blasted off. R.I.P. Maddie. R.I.P. Maddie. R.I.P. Mad Eye Moody. R.I.P. George's, George's ear. <laughs> and R.I.P. Hedwig. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the Moody death. I mean, we've talked at length in the fourth and fifth uh, stories about Mad Eye just kind of like. Being a weirdly handled character. Yeah, because it seemed like we got to know him, but then it wasn't actually him. But then we still acted like we knew who he was and Harry was close to him, even though that person that he got to know and was close to was a fake the whole time. But that fake was extremely like Mad-Eye. Yeah, basically the same person. So he basically got to know him. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So the Mad-Eye, I mean, I'm fine with them killing him. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) If I'm being, yeah, straight. Um... But it just didn't impact me. I felt honestly worse about George's ear. I know. <laughs> uh, I just hate to see the twins hurt. I know. But hey, at least they got out of it safe and sound. And, and they're both will alive. Ever and nothing to them again. And they're totally fine. And everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm glad we can both agree on that. They're safe at the borough now. And... A wedding is about to happen. Bill and Floor are going to get married. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing Floor's name. I think that's right. Floor? Floor. 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 I'm I'm saying it wrong. I just know it. I'm sorry. (laughs) They're getting married and the burrow is in mad preparation for this event. And Hermione and Ron have also prepared for the event to come, which is going with Harry to try to find these horcruxes, which we... Knew at the end of the sixth movie and the sixth book that this was going to happen. They're not going back to Hogwarts this year. They have this mission from Dumbledore. They have to track down these Horcruxes. Um, and so Ron and Hermione have each prepared in different ways for this situation. Yeah, Ron got the uh, the ghoul. The ghoul. It, it's a ghoul. Okay, that is in his attic, which I never realized was like a physical. I know. I, I, I it, don't know what that is. I again. thought it was like a ghost. And then I'm like, no, it's a physical thing. And then I'm like, is it like a pet? Is it like a wizard dog? I don't know, Ian. I could not tell you. Um, but anyway, he like changes it and puts it in his clothing and makes it look kind of like him with a disease. Yeah. So that he has an excuse as to why he's not back in school. And Hermione alters her parents' memories and sends them off to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Solid plan. Yeah. Uh, which uh, it the the Hermione part is a part of the films, but the whole ghoul thing no. isn't in in the films. Which makes me laugh because I'm always kind of like books have to think about things so much more thoroughly. Yeah. Because they're just naturally as a story much more in depth, and so you have to account for a lot more. Mm-hmm. But when you're watching a movie. 
Like it gets movies get away with so much less. They do in terms of like the planning and stuff mm-hmm. that it's it it kind of cracks me up. All we need is a scene of Hermione being like Obliviate, and that's all we need. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I I thought that was like uh, just kind of interesting the whole Ron's plan with the ghoul and and everything going on there. Yeah. Uh, Harry and Ginny are in a weird spot. You know when you're broken up with your ex, but you still, like, really want to get back together? But you're still really horny. Yeah, and then, like, your ex's brother is also your best friend, but it's, like, really pissy at you, and, like, it's uncomfortable. There's a scene where Ginny invites Harry into her room yeah. so she can snog him, to use the correct terminology. <laughs> uh, and then Ron just, like, bursts into the room. Yeah. And it's super uncomfortable. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, what did you think you were going to find? Yeah. And it's a weird situation because Harry is like, I had to break up with her because I have to go on this quest that's probably going to take me all year long, as they always do. Um, And Ginny's like, "Okay, but maybe we'll get back together when you get back. So I don't I don't really love this, honestly. Yeah. And I do think that the Ginny Harry love situation is kind of is a little bit weak mm-hmm. in the books um the movie is doing its best but is failing miserably <laughs> <laughs> once again the movie can get away with doing a lot less honestly i just kind of like the movie not even needing to like talk about their future or anything like obviously there's more important shit going on at the moment yeah so it's almost like we don't need to like they can still be flirtatious and like that's kind of enough yeah he can zip up her dress (laughs) it's fine (laughs) yeah exactly but i mean i like them as a couple even in the film it's fine like a lot of people really hate the film dynamic of them i'm one of them are you (laughs) i think it's fine It's not the worst I've seen. No, it's just not believable. You know, it's super awkward. But like, it's awkward in a way that I almost feels like it works. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like so kind of strange that you're like, there's something there. And honestly, I am just criticizing the Harry, Ginny romance in general. Like, the idea of putting the two of them together I mean, it's just so Harry can be part of the Weasley family, right? Mm, Like, to have the mom that he's always wanted in Mrs. Weasley and to have Ron as his real brother, you know? Yeah, that's that's a fair analysis. Yeah. I do like Ginny as a character. I just like that, I mean, whether it was that she had a ton of older brothers or not, but, like, she's just very strong-willed and just kind of like cuts yeah. to the point is willing to tell Harry when he's being a stupid idiot. Like yes. I like that in a character. Mm-hmm. She feels like a good balance to Harry, like not some kind of damsel in distress type trope. Yeah. Even though her introduction was basically a damsel yeah. in distress. <laughs> she matured a lot. She had a lot of growth. Yeah. yeah. I also want to talk about Ron and Hermione a little bit here because in the book and the movie, They've been kind of like dancing around each other, especially in the last book and movie. And now it seems like they're actually getting together. And I think it's so funny that in the book, Ron needed his brothers to give him a book. (laughs) And I was like, you know what this is? This is actually a very Hermione thing to do, Mm. which is to when he's like, I don't know how to make women love me or like let women know that I like them. And he's like, I know, I'll look it up in a book. <laughs> there there you go. Which is a very Hermione thing to that do. That is true. 
I would really love to know what's actually like in that book, though. <laughs> I know. I mean, it seems to be good advice because it's working, right? Like Ron is actually paying attention to Hermione. That's true. And complimenting her and like appreciating her. Yeah, he's not like uh, <laughs> nagging her or, no, or shit like no. that. So it seems to be going OK. Yeah, I just think this is hilarious. But it is interesting to see the two of them actually kind of like move towards each other in like a real way. Yeah. Scrimgower arrives. You got it. To discuss the contents of Dumbledore's will. And he has left each of the three, uh, the trio something. Harry has the first snitch he ever caught. Hermione has a copy of the Tales of Beetle the Bard. And Ron has Dumbledore's Deluminator. Yes. And actually Dumbledore wanted to leave another <laughs> item for Harry, which was the Sword of Gryffindor. Yes. And in the book, he's just like, we couldn't give it to you because it wasn't like Dumbledore didn't own it. It wasn't his to give. Yeah. And he gives the same explanation in the film. He's like, you know, he wasn't allowed to put it in his will. And then he's also like, also, we don't know where it is. <laughs> also, we lost it. <laughs> also, we lost it. He's like, but first and foremost, he, he it wasn't. You can't have he, it. He, you can't have it. He shouldn't have put it in his will. But also, even if you could have it, you couldn't because we don't know where it is. Yeah. And honestly, Harry should have realized from the beginning how important the sword was. Yes. They make it like such a big moment where Harry realizes that the sword can destroy Horcruxes later. Mm -hmm. When I'm like, I mean, he left it to you in his will. <laughs> you didn't think that was a sign that you needed it for something? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Probably. Use your brains. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he doesn't get, uh, the sword, but they all get these items. And Harry understands early on that, like, the snitch, he's like, oh, I almost swallowed it. I should put my mouth to it and, yeah. and make out with it. And then, so he's, he finds the message on it very early, which is, I open it, I open at the close. Yeah, he finds it early in the book. In the movie, it takes longer, I think. Mm -hmm. But he still can't open it. So there's something in it. Yeah, something's not, <laughs> something's going on. And now it's time for a wedding where in the movie, Harry just waltzes around with no fear. <laughs> and in the book, they're like, um, we're going to pretend you're a random cousin and give you Polyjuice Potion from like an unsuspecting muggle child that we stole a hair from. Some poor ginger boy <laughs> in the town next, in the town over. Uh yeah, and this led to my favorite moment so far in the book, which is Harry, you know, is uh, in disguise with the Polyjuice Potion looking like a redheaded child. <laughs> and uh, Luna Lovegood shows up to the oh, wedding. Yeah. And she walks right up to the Harry and she's like, oh, hi, Harry. And he's like, what the hell? He's like, Luna, how did you know it was me? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Just your expression. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's such a great Luna moment. It's it, so funny. It really is. And Harry ends up hearing a bunch of stuff at this wedding. He talks to uh, Dodge. Doge? Yeah, Dodge or Doge. Um, <laughs> Dogecoin. <laughs> who wrote Dumbledore's obituary and was a longtime friend of Dumbledore. But then Aunt Muriel kind of joins in the conversation and we hear about like, oh, Rita Skeeter is writing an expose about Dumbledore's secret past. And we find out a lot of things about his life. And the movie kind of touches like on just one or two things, which is the fact that Dumbledore's father killed muggles and was sent to Azkaban. Mm -hmm. But then the book goes further and talks about how there are rumors that Dumbledore's younger sister was a squib. 
Yes. Which means she couldn't use magic. And that their mother was so ashamed of this that she like locked Ariana, the daughter, away and like kept her as a prisoner in the house. Yeah. And he also finds out too that Dumbledore was kind of childhood friends with this like dark wizard. Yeah. Uh Grindelwald? Grindelwald, who he later famously defeated in a duel. Yeah. And so this doesn't look great either. Yeah. And I really, you know, the obviously the book is a lot more into this, mm-hmm. but it really starts chipping away at Harry's confidence in Dumbledore, especially all of this on top of just all the things Dumbledore never told him yeah. about Horcruxes, his mission, Voldemort, his past, like all these other things. And... I really like this as a theme in Harry Potter in general. Yeah. Which is kind of uh, the humanization of adult figures that the characters in the story idolize. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it began with like Harry's father. Yeah. He like remembers as, I, I mean, he doesn't actually remember him, but thinks he, but of him. idolizes him. Yeah, as being perfect. And then he finds out, oh, he was a huge dickhead in school. Yeah. Like, he was like a bully and just like really unlikable. Super arrogant. So were his friends who are also adults that I look up to now. Yeah. Um, Like I really loved that uh, revelation. And then that on top of this like Dumbledore stuff where he's like Dumbledore really had a fucked up past. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like this as a recurring thing in these later stories. Yeah. That kind of keeps coming, being touched on. Well, and the idea too, that like after somebody dies, there's still so much to deal with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And your relationship with them, things about their past that like you maybe never knew before. And like, they're not there for you to talk to about it. So it's like really tough to kind of deal with the aftermath of yeah. that and to process. And Harry's really processing a lot with Dumbledore's death because he's so devastated by it. But then there's still there's like a lot of anger that he has towards Dumbledore because of the way Dumbledore treated him, the things he didn't share with him, you know, his secrets and feeling like he is he being used by Dumbledore, which is a a valid concern. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, While Harry is wrestling with these very complicated (laughs) topics, the wedding is interrupted by a message from Kingsley. Yeah. The minister has been murdered. The ministry has been taken over by Death Eaters. Uh, Everyone get the fuck out because (laughs) Death Eaters slash the ministry are coming. Yep. And this is when Harry, Hermione, and Ron apparate to safety. They go to Sirius's old house. Before that, though, they apparate onto this busy city, London uh, street. And they're like, let's kind of get out of, you know, let's just collect ourselves and regroup. And they go into this kind of like shitty cafe Mm -hmm. uh, where they are quickly attacked by two Death Eaters. Yeah. And there's this really crazy fight scene. I love in the movie, the waitress being like kind of unaware. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. But, you know, they're they're kind of in this intense fighting situation. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth mentioning here, like, I think it's interesting how the fighting in the Harry Potter series has kind of evolved with, like, the wand and casting and stuff. Yeah. Like, the, there's there's not a lot of uh, spell saying anymore. Yeah. The sound effects are really sharp and kind of snappy. Like, it sounds dangerous. Yeah, like gunshots. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, is, like, it kind of feels like it's reduced to that a little bit. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of creativity going on. It's just, like, flashes flat, going flat. past. Yeah. yeah, like, pop, 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 pop. And so, like, it's exciting, but also feels, like, maybe a little less magical in that way. Yeah. And similarly... I think now's a good point to talk about Avada Kedavra. Yeah. Because this is kind of a 
I don't see like a rule breaking spell or like a problem necessarily, but I do think it kind of like hurts the story a little bit. Yeah. Because like you have these villains and they have a spell that can kill people. Yeah. And it's the only spell that I guess can technically kill people. Well, it's probably not the only one, but like it is the killing curse. Yeah. So like. Of course, they're going to use that like all the time. Yeah. Unless very specifically, they're trying to like capture someone like Harry. Yeah. So like you'd imagine every spell would just be that. And usually it is. But then sometimes characters are hit with spells where it's like, oh, that was just a stunning spell. Yeah. So it's like, but why isn't every spell just like Avada Kedavra? You know (laughs) what I mean? I know. Like, why would you do anything else? Yeah. The stakes are really confusing. Yeah. Especially like, oh, well, good people don't use that spell. Like Mm -hmm. it, it like breaks your soul in half, but you have to do something else specifically that we're not going to tell you to make a Horcrux. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a really great video I'll link to on our our Patreon kind of talking about this issue. But like, I think there should be like multiple spells that can kill you. But like, it's not just like being hit by the spell. Like, I don't know, like a spell that like strangle you or like. You know what I mean? Just things that are like different ways of killing you, but there's like different creative ways. Creative ways. Creative ways to, to murder. kill people. More magical ways. Keep the magic in Harry Potter. Keep is what the magic I'm alive. Absolutely. By killing people. By killing people. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just kind of like. Yeah, it's all or nothing. Absolutely. And it's like, well, if there is a killing curse, why would anything not be the killing curse that the villains are using? But then that becomes kind of like uninteresting. Yeah. So it's just a problem, I think. They do go to Sirius's house, and this is where Creature enters the story, and I really love this part of the book because we get to find out kind of the backstory of Creature a little bit, and then also about Sirius's brother, Regulus, who was part of the Death Eaters. And he's the RAB who took the Horcrux locket from its original location where Dumbledore and Harry went to find it in the sixth book and replaced it with a fake. And it's this story is really sad. It's not in the movie, but Creature eventually confesses that Regulus. So Creature was used by Voldemort to put the locket there originally. The yes. Horcrux. Yeah. He and so, but Voldemort didn't realize that like the protections he put on that area didn't apply to elves. Yeah. So Creature was just able to apparate out of there because Regulus called him. Yes. Um, so Creature survived and was able to tell Regulus what happened. Yeah. Which led Regulus to being concerned and wanting to recover the Horcrux himself. Yeah. And so he and Creature went back to where the Horcrux was. He took the potion and then ordered Creature to leave him to die and take the locket with him. Yeah. And I really love this part in the book because Hermione is like really upset by this. And so is Harry and Ron. So are Harry and Ron. But... Hermione kind of saying, like, don't you see how horrible it is that they have to follow orders that, like, Creature would be forced to leave this person that he really loves and cares about to die because of this, like, elf wizard hierarchy. Yes. And there is something. So we've shit on the past books a lot for, like, Hermione's character bringing up this very the spew the spew the 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 rights for elves in this whole thing which feels like it's a very good I know thing and it's shit on the whole but like nobody gives a fuck everyone makes fun of her and it's like a whole thing yeah that never gets resolved and we've made our 
issues with that well known in previous episodes. But I will say, you know, this this at this point, you cannot make up enough for those previous books. Yeah. But I do think this story does a lot to bring back the elf issues. Yeah. But in a way that makes sense to the story, because kind of a recurring theme is you know, elves seem to be actually, like, very magically powerful. Yes. And people overestimate, or underestimate them. Yeah. And don't account for elf magic. Yeah, because it's beneath them. Voldemort doesn't think about it. The Malfoys don't care yes. about it. You know, Dobby is an important part of this story. And Creature, Creature's role in this is huge. And I really love this moment because Harry is finally like, oh my god, Her- Hermione must be right. <laughs> Maybe I should listen to her advice. And he treats Creature with kindness and, you know, gifts him this fake locket that belonged to Regulus. And this is like a life-changing moment for Creature. Like, honestly, my heart kind of broke reading this part because Creature's like suddenly happy. Yeah. He's like making food for them. He's tidying up the house. He feels like he has purpose again because Harry was kind to him. And I love that Hermione kind of pointed out that Elves kind of respond to, or at least Creature does responds to kindness. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's just really heartwarming to see this change in Creature, who's like described as being like the most shriveled and nasty and like mean elf ever and like everything, uh, to see him kind of like suddenly be happy with his work again and like what he's doing. And like, obviously he is still a slave essentially. Yeah. And there's like a whole host of like other issues, larger issues. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> this is more than I thought we would get. Yeah. Out of this story, like this final book, like bringing back the elf topic. Yeah. Um, and thematically, I think it's interesting and ties into the story. Well, so I actually do think this is the first elf win for the books. I'll give it to her, yeah, yeah, for the books. This is the first elf win. Yeah, and Creature tells them, too, that uh, Mundungus was the one who took the locket. And then Creature ends up finding Mundungus, and Mundungus reveals... I keep saying Mundungus. Uh, <laughs> reveals that Umbridge took the locket. Who is that again? Umbridge? No, no, the other guy. Oh, Mundungus. Mundungus, okay, <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> so now the worst person in the world has an actual evil object, and now they have to try to get it back. I'm so glad. Like, it's very contrived that, like, Umbridge would be the one to have it. But, I mean, when it's yeah, bring her such back. a great villain, like, yeah. I love it. Uh, so this begins the planning and the infiltration of the Ministry of Magic by Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Yes, very reliant on Polyjuice Potion, which they use. But, like, in the book... After Hermione transforms into the the witch that she's impersonating, she gives uh, Reg, Reg, whatever his Uh, name is, uh, one of the Weasley twins, like, puking candies. (laughs) And is like, you better go to the hospital. Oh, no. Which, like, why? I know that for some reason they decide not to knock all of them out. Knock all of them out. Yeah, I'm like, why is that even a question? They're like, we don't want three people knocked out. I'm like, yeah, you do. Is that... Less suspicious than one person knocked out. I know. (laughs) If you're knocking out one person, just do all three. Like, you're going to know what happened later anyway. But they get their hairs and they impersonate um, Falda, Reg, and Albert. Wow, I'm glad you remembered all those names. Yes. 
we have to address how fantastic the actors playing yeah harry ron and hermione are the adult actors as these doppelgangers it's really good the guy who's moving as albert slash harry he just has his like awkward shuffling movement <laughs> that's just like so uncomfortable everywhere he goes i know and uh reg as ron is so dumb <laughs> which is perfect for ron and he kind of looks like ron like they yeah. all kind of look a little bit like the people yeah. um <laughs> even hermione who I, I i'm so convinced uh the actress playing the doppelganger she looks so much like samantha b for some reason oh to yeah me. a little bit yeah uh, so they, they do this infiltration. They get into some shenanigans. Reg's wife is on trial for being a mudblood. Yes. A muggle-born witch or wizard. And this is Umbridge's pet project under the new regime. She's like, oh, I know. We're going to create a muggle registration committee, which is in no way referencing the Nazis at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but like I I loved this aspect of like rounding people up. Yeah. And, and the idea, which once again, this is probably something that seemed absurd to me at the time. The the idea that like, oh, a muggle born witcher wizard must have stolen their magic. Yeah. From someone else. And you're like, who would believe that? Like, how does that make any sense? But no. now I'm like, yeah, no, people would say that and other people would believe it. Yeah. I mean, it is really true. And Mary, Reg's wife, is on trial, and this is where Ron, Hermione, and Harry are able to step in, and uh, they grab the locket, they escape. In the book, they grab all the other Muggleborns who are awaiting trial, and they're like, all right, let's get the fuck out! (laughs) Let's peace! In the movie, we get a really funny scene, though, of Mary thinking that Ron is really her husband. Yes. And kissing him. As Ron transforms back into himself. And, like, I love, too, that, like, at this point, Hermione and Harry have already changed back into themselves. And they're the main part of the Ministry of Magic. But they're just forced to stop in the middle of everything and just watch this whole thing like I know unfold. it's so uncomfortable and then the real red shows up in his underwear I mean it's really <laughs> absurd but it's so funny like comedically I think it just like hits the nail on the head it really works but they eventually they have to make another escape I feel like I've talked about how they have to escape so many times already. And yet there's so many more there's escapes. There's so many more chances. They keep going into situations and they're like, time to escape. And then they're like, here we go again. Time to escape. <laughs> <laughs> I do love this escape, though, with them like running towards the fireplaces as they're being uh, like graded off. And, you know, what yeah. I mean? like barely making it. It's very exciting. But unfortunately... They, I don't know who this character is in the film. Yeah, in the book it's Yaxley. Yeah, uh, but they accidentally take him back to Grimwald Place, and then they know they can't stay there, so then they leave immediately, or Hermione does, yeah. to a random location in the woods. Yeah. And it seems like they made it and everything's fine, but unfortunately, Ron got splinched. Yes. What does that mean, Ian? I'll tell you what, Adina. <laughs> uh, when I first saw this film... In theaters. I had only read the book once when it first came out. Yeah. Uh, so that was three years before. Or three years. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what this meant. I had <laughs> totally forgotten. I had to lean over to someone like, what does that mean? I don't remember. What. Like, I thought it was something that Yaxley had done to him, like a spell or something. 
Hermione gives us no information. She's just like, Ron got splinched. And Harry's yeah. like, oh, no. <laughs> but this is like a very, I'll say, interesting thing about this movie, both in terms of the, in terms of the Harry Potter franchise, but also in a larger way of adaptations in general. Yeah. Because like the film feels so emboldened by the fact that it knows its audience has like almost 100% definitely read the books. Yeah. That it either doesn't explain some things at all mm-hmm. or like very, very briefly like touches on certain plot points or elements. And we've run into this with other adaptations yeah. where you're like, if we hadn't read the book, we would have no idea what's going on. Yeah, that's true. So I guess, it's not unique to the Harry Potter franchise. No, that's true. I guess it's just more this film than other films. Yeah. Um. So we have this scene where Ron gets splinched, and they're just like, we're not going to tell you what that means at all. Like, yeah. I guess, like, Ron was hurt, so you don't really need to know beyond that. Yeah, and then we have this mirror piece mm-hmm. that Harry keeps looking at in the movie, which yes. we've never seen before. No, this blows my mind, <laughs> Because once again, I remember being in the theater and being like, I don't remember what that is. Like, yeah. and I leaned over. I'm like, what is that? And they're like, oh, that was part of the mirror that Sirius gave Harry, like in the You're fifth like, book. I'm what? like, I don't remember that. <laughs> when did that happen? I can't believe they put this in the film because like, I like the imagery of him looking at it, trying to find Dumbledore in it, so to speak. Yeah. But like, you didn't explain it. No. Like, and honestly, in the book, it's it's like only mentioned right at the beginning mm-hmm. that that's what this shard is because the mirror has like not been mentioned since the fifth book. No. So. Yeah. So like even in the book, it's like a little bit. It's of a stretch. Out of left field. But like in the film, it's I, I just am like do something else. I know. Well, and also in the movie, they don't talk about how the fact that the fact of Voldemort's name being cursed, which we find out later that if anyone says Voldemort's name, um, all the protections are taken away. Yeah. But there's like a scene in the movie when they're at Lovegood's house where he says Voldemort's name and like Death Eaters immediately appear. And you're like, was it that or was it like that he sent for them? What are we supposed to assume? If you've read the book, you can assume. If you haven't, you might assume something else. Yeah. Another thing, too, is the existence of Snatchers. What are they? <laughs> if you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, it's just a bunch of like thugs trying to kidnap children. Yeah. In the mo- in the books, you know that they're hunting down students that are not showing up at Hogwarts because they're like, oh, Voldemort's in charge of the school. Don't send my child there. Yeah. <laughs> and they're tracking down Muggleborns as well. I guess at least that one, like the name kind of says it all in yeah. a way. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then on top of that, you have other things like the, the relationship between Lupin and Tonks. Yeah. Like... The films haven't really even, like, Tonks is so, she's just, like, a background character. Yeah. And her relationship with Lupin is, like, I think very subtly implied. They have no scenes together. In the sixth one, they, like, share one look with each other. Yeah. And then in this movie, there's a brief moment where Tonks is like, oh, Harry, we want to tell you about. And then uh, Mad-Eye cuts her off. Yeah. Like, you're guessing she's going to tell him that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think we ever find that out in the films. No. I don't even know if we find that out in the second one. We'll know for sure, but. Thank you for bringing that up, though, because I did want to mention that scene, the scene from the book with Lupin. Oh, God, yeah. When he shows up and he wants to help Harry find the Horcruxes. or I mean, he doesn't know what the mission is, but he knows Dumbledore has given Harry a mission. And he's like, I want to help you. And Harry's like, 
wait, what about Tonks? You just got married. Why would you leave her? Yes. And Harry gets really personal with Lupin. Yeah, because Lupin reveals that Tonks is pregnant. Yeah. And Harry's like, wow, that sounds like a really cowardly fucking thing to do is to leave your pregnant wife to go on like some adventure where you're probably going to get killed. Yeah, and you're trying to, like, recapture your, like, glory days with James and Sirius. And he pisses off Lupin to the point that Lupin, like, uh, casts a spell at Harry. Yeah. And, like, storms off. Mm -hmm. And I really love this moment. I I appreciate this moment in other stories, too, where, like, characters that, like, have a mentor. Yeah. An adult mentor, like, the characters are kids. But as the series goes on and the children grow up, you start to see moments between them and the mentor character where, like, they're kind of being treated more like equals. Yeah. And it's a little bit more personal and kind of, like, complicated. Yeah, and I love that Harry challenges Lupin on this. And yeah. feels, like, vindicated and righteous enough to be like, no, I'm going to call you out on this because this is wrong. And we all know that Lupin is being a fucking baby. Like, if he didn't want to have an actual baby with Tonks, he would have used protection. Like, come (laughs) on. Are you telling me that the magical wizarding world doesn't have several ways to not have children? Like, come on. Contraceptives have to be huge. The the wizarding wizarding world has to have plan B, C, and D. Exactly. (laughs) So many options. Um, But Harry's literally like, you have this kid, you know, you need to be a father to this child and not, like, give in to your fear of what this child will be. Yeah. I, I really loved this moment in the book. Um, but once again, it's just another one of those, like, things that's so subtly alluded to in the films. Yeah. To the point where you're like, why even include this? I like, know. is it even enough for us to get anything? If from? you're not going to get the whole picture, just don't give us snippets, you know? Yeah. But they, they have to like travel now through the forest because they don't really have a place to be in there. It's too dangerous to stay in one place because Voldemort and the ministry are all looking for Harry. So they're just like traveling around. Of course, of course, Ian. Yeah. Of course, uh-huh. Hermione has <laughs> planned for everything. Yep. She has clothing for them. She has books on the Horcruxes. <laughs> she going to say like books on tape, <laughs> like entertainment. She's got for- books on tape for them to listen. <laughs> I mean, I would not be surprised. You know, she has medical supplies. She has this tent that they're living uh-huh. in. Like she's the one who sets up the magical protection. She is doing everything, Ian. Literally She's everything. doing everything. What would Harry and Ron do? Just shit in a field? <laughs> Most likely, <laughs> I, I, I would say. Yeah, I mean, Hermione is, and she was the one who had the forethought to have all this stuff packed in like her go bag just in case some something went down. Yeah. Yeah, she is the she, the glue holding this team together. Yeah, and they're wearing, they're taking turns wearing the locket um, which is in no way a ripoff of the One Ring from Lord of the Rings at all, but it's making them feel really miserable and upset all the time. Yeah, and the whole like reasoning is just Terry. Like, I don't want to lose this, and I'm like, okay, I don't think it's worth. Why don't you put it in your pouch that you have around your neck I that you know. keep talking about? I know, or in Hermione's bag, or like <laughs> a number of other places, like. 
I don't know the whole explanation for why they had to wear it, especially once they find out that it's like actually affecting them. Yeah. Was like really odd to me. And they also find out that the sort of Gryffindor at this time can destroy Horcruxes. So they're like, okay, cool. Now we just need to find the sword. Yeah. We do though, in their traveling in the film, get to see all of England's most beautiful and dreary landscapes. (laughs) That it has to offer. Yeah, a lot of abandoned locations. And I also want to mention the movie's like kind of sound design here Mm -hmm. too. Because throughout the film we've been getting like a lot of different like unsettling noises as background. Yeah. We have the radio noise. We have the sound of like the snitch's wings like kind of whirring. Yeah, yep. And um, we also have the locket itself making like an unsettling screeching noise. Well, even at the very beginning of the film, when the Warner Brothers logo comes up, it's got like a weird, like kind of grating high pitched. I'm going to say, I think it did its job, but I did not like it. Yeah. Like I found it uncomfortable to hear and Mm -hmm. I didn't like how it continued to happen. And I was like, make it stop. (laughs) I thought this was really interesting. And I honestly just really liked it because It just feels like the film's maturing to a degree. And, like, not that there's anything wrong with, like, the very classic scores of the early films. Because, I mean, that built the foundation of the score in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, like, using these kind of, like, more abstract soundscapes to kind of, like, convey feeling and, like, what's going on and, you know what I mean, feels like a much more... Not a much more creative way, but like just a different creative way to kind of like communicate this unsettling. Yeah, time. the vibe you're supposed to be getting. Yeah, I mean, it did its job well. I just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> is what you I'll wouldn't. Say. You wouldn't like uh, look up like Harry Potter soundscape. No, on I wouldn't Spotify. listen to the soundtrack for this this movie at all. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about Ron, though. Boy, we do. It's it's time, Adina. I feel like we've alluded to it a lot over the episodes, but it's time to really discuss Ron. I don't even know how much I have to say. We'll see. But Ron is more affected by the power of this locket. Why? It is not explained. So he says. Yeah. And so Harry says, too. That's what Harry thinks. Ron is just, um, what, like a freeloading... Um, pathetic, dumb piece of shit. I don't know. (laughs) Please go harder, Adina. I mean, he's contributing nothing at this point. Mm -hmm. At this point, I want to be specific to the group. No, I 100% agree. See, like, so the whole Ron situation makes sense early on in the series. Honestly, for most of the series, because like he's a guy that Harry meets and Harry's like, hey, he's a fun bloke. Like I like hanging out with him and like you get why like their male friendship, although maybe overly simple, like you get it. Yeah. Um, And then Ron, just by proxy to Harry, gets pulled into these adventures. He gets pulled along for the ride. You're like, I understand. Like he's just kind of like there and he's. A lot of the comedic relief. But now we're in the later series, Adina. This is the big leagues. Yeah. And Harry is going on a quest to save the world. Yeah. And out of the entire Order of the Phoenix and even everyone else at school that he went to school with, Harry's like, I have to take a team 
like a small group of people to accompany me on this mission. Yeah. I'm going to take Hermione. Yeah. Who can literally do anything and is the smartest in every way. Yeah. And is probably better than every other adult wizard will encounter. Yeah. And then Ron, (laughs) who has grown in no significant way over the course of this entire series. No. And offers nothing to the group that is like in any way overly helpful. No, I agree. And I think maybe this scene of Ron abandoning the group is the author's way of dealing with this Mm. and trying to find a place for him and kind of like acknowledge the fact that he's the weakest link in the group. Yeah. And like go with that and then kind of see how he could find redemption. So I do think it kind of works in the story, but I think it's trying to make up for the fact that Ron's character has been kind of weak from the beginning. Yeah, and you know, we've seen Ron go through some, like, emotional turbulence in the past couple books, uh, usually relating to either Hermione, his love life, or, Or like, Quidditch. Quidditch. Yeah. Um, Which I don't mind. Like, I thought those were decent portions. But, like, I'm saying, like, mechanically, to the plot of the story, he offers, like, nothing. And I think it's, like, so unfortunate. Because even Fred and George get so much more growth in the series than Ron does. Like, they start off as two, like, tomfoolery, (laughs) prank-pulling kind of, like, jokesters. And then you see them mature and then take that aspect of themselves and apply it in an interesting way to, like, this joke shop. Yeah, they don't grow out of it. They channel it. Yeah, and and Slash, like, actually helping, like, the Order and the Resistance to Voldemort. And, like... I love that evolution of their characters. Ron needed something in books four, five, and six that he grew to like Mm -hmm. and that would have been beneficial to the group. More than just following along with whatever Harry does, which is, you know, Quidditch, and eventually he becomes an Auror or, like, wants to become an Auror like Harry. Yeah, and, like, Harry's... Not spectacular either. No. Like, he's got the whole chosen one thing. Yeah. Um. So I'm not trying to, like, say Harry's, like, significantly better than Ron. But, like, I mean, Harry's kind of the conduit for the reader of being in the story. Yeah. So I don't... I think that's fine for Harry not to be the most interesting. But even Harry, like, he's a, he's really good at flying. Mm-hmm. We know he can hold his own in duels. Yeah. Uh, he likes teaching. Like, we mm-hmm. find out in the fifth book that he really likes teaching everyone about the dark arts. Or he's like dealing with a lot of death in his life and loss. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, in terms of strength, Harry has, like, a skill set that's still, like, something. Yeah. But Ron just really has nothing. And even applying that to his budding relationship with Hermione... I see their relationship and I'm like, Hermione, I'm sorry, but what about Ron is at all like attractive or appealing to you? I know it's it's not great. No, I mean, I go along with it when I'm reading it and when I'm watching it, too. I think they make it work in both versions where you're kind of like, all right. But when you stop to think about it for any moment, you're like, this would not work. No, like their relationship. You yeah. Mean. Yeah. I actually think the movie gives us a few sweet moments that I re- like. I really like the one moment where Hermione's kind of teaching Ron piano. Yeah. Casually. Yeah. And Ron's just kind of like looking at her kind of in awe almost, mm-hmm. which like he should be. She's amazing. I know. <laughs> uh, but like it's kind of a sweet little tender moment. And I feel a little bit more like in the film that you 
get it a little bit more their relationship yeah i think overall it's just the mechanics of the story and ron not offering anything to like he like he'll occasionally have a moment where they're like wow ron that wasn't the stupidest thing i've ever heard <laughs> like good job and he's like yeah wow thanks yeah thanks guys <laughs> Yeah, I just think this moment is really devastating because of the awful things he says to Harry. Yeah. And then also the fact that he's just been a shit to everyone and like is making Hermione do everything and then is acting like really pissed off about it not being exactly what he wants. And so when he leaves, it feels really awful. And both Harry and Hermione are kind of like dealing with the aftermath of his disappearance and like what that means for their friend group. And like they're trying to imply that like, yes, Ron contributes nothing, but he actually contributes like their sense of normalcy and like they're really sad without him. So he contributes something, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) Just his general vibes is what he contributes. Yeah. We do get one of the most interesting scenes in the film, given that it's not based on anything in the book. And I think... I'm not mistaken when I say it's kind of controversial. It is. Among Harry Potter fans, and that is the Harry and Hermione dance scene. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this scene, Adina? Listen, I think it could have been fine, but I think they did it wrong. Really? Yeah. So I don't disagree with the concept, but I think the way that it was, like, shot and uh, blocked and, Mm -hmm. like, filmed was not good. Because, um, like, right away... Harry pulls Hermione up and then he lifts the locket from her in a very intimate way. Yes. And I get the idea of like wanting to take the locket off her and like kind of shed that burden together. But I think it immediately sets up the scene as like something more than it's meant to be. Mm, So you don't think there should you don't think there is any romantic vibes between them? I think the movie is not trying to do that. Mm. I think the movie is just trying to have like a moment between them that's supposed to be like two people trying to like make their way through a really shitty situation. Yeah. But I think it comes off like super tense in in mm. a way that makes me uncomfortable because they really have no chemistry. Like really have no chemistry. Re- you think even less than Ron and... Hermione? Oh, yeah. Ron and Hermione, I think, in the movies have good chemistry. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. See, I think the opposite in a number of ways, (laughs) which is good. We don't rarely disagree. But, like, I do think there is meant to be this, like, suspicion, at least, of, like, is this something going on here? Like, the kind of intimacy, like you said, of him taking the locket off, the dancing. See, I think this comes down to the fact that I think Harry and Hermione do have some kind of chemistry together. Yeah. And I think the movies are trying to, like, put to bed the idea that Harry and Hermione should or would be together. Mm. Because they've done this before in the sixth movie. Dumbledore randomly is like, hey, Harry, I know you and Hermione spend a lot of time together. Uh, Yeah. Are you you hitting that? And and Harry's like, no, Dumbledore, like, we're just friends. And he's like, okay, cool. I just wanted to, you know, ask and make sure. And, like, so they've already kind of, like inserted stuff in the past to kind of like establish their relationship. Yeah. And I think this is going further down that rabbit hole in terms of like, you know, Ron's gone. It's just them. And they have this dance together. You're like, is something going on? And just when you think there might be, it kind of stops. And I think they kind of maybe realize what's happening. And then they just kind of like turn away from each other. So I feel like maybe that's, 
what they wanted to do, but instead it was just an incredibly uncomfortable and awkward and cringy scene that I don't like watching. Wow, okay. <laughs> Damn. I don't mind it, honestly. Uh, I don't like it. I, I I kind of appreciate them like acknowledging the potential of the... Because Harry and Hermione have more in common than... Hermione and Ron. I think, I think they could have had a better scene with the two of them showing their bond and kind of solidifying for us that they are friends or like have a sibling type relationship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they needed to tease the hint of like, maybe there is something going on. I think they could have just doubled down and shown like Hermione really like distraught over Ron leaving and like Harry supporting her. Like, that's, I think, what we needed. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, ooh, maybe they'll just uncomfortably dance together. <laughs> like, stop. Please stop. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. <laughs> Moving on, let's go to Godric's Hollow, or according to Harry, he would have never suspected that Godric Gryffindor grew up in Godric's Hollow. <laughs> that's news to him. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it was also news to me. I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> but we didn't sit through six years of uh, history of magic, Ian. <laughs> no, that's very fair. <laughs> yeah, that's where Harry's parents used to live and where they were murdered. That, And then he finds out that's where Dumbledore used to live. Yeah. And there's just like so many connections to this location that he feels like it'd be good to go there. But Hermione rightfully is like, Voldemort might be expecting you to go there. Yeah, it's where your parents died. Yeah. It's where they're buried. In the book, they smartly take Polyjuice Potion. In the film, Harry stupidly says, I'm not returning as someone else. (laughs) So. Yeah. I think the movie was like one Polyjuice. No. (laughs) Well, actually, two Polyjuice Potion scenes are enough for this movie. I I completely agree with that. The over-reliance on Polyjuice Potion is uh, a little intense. There's a lot. There's a lot of it. Um, they visit Harry's parents' grave, which is a touching scene that I like a lot. And then even the house, uh, his parents' old house they see. Yeah. And then they meet Batilda, who knew the Dumbledores when they were growing up. And is also the one that apparently talked to Rita Skeeter about this expose on Dumbledore. And they're like, maybe she has the sword. Maybe this crazy woman that everyone says has like wizard Alzheimer's. <laughs> Maybe Dumbledore gave her the sword. And so Harry's like, yeah, let's go into her house. And and they they meet the creepiest old woman you've ever seen who's just like. Come into my house. It's like several people died in here and nobody cleaned up. <laughs> uh, they go inside. Harry's just like, I'm just going to follow her upstairs real quick. Yeah. Don't worry about Hermione. It's fine. The snake is inside her. Yeah, the thing I wasn't sure about in the film, Hermione walks into a room that has flies buzzing and she yeah. sees blood splatter on the walls. Is it implied she finds the body or is that just like where it's implied the woman was killed? I don't know. I, I think it's where she was killed. OK, see, I'm, I I felt like it was implied like her body was there. And then in the film, like the snake is more just disguised as her instead of, like, occupying mm. her rotting corpse. I mean, I could be, like, taking the book's interpretation along with yeah. me when I, I'm watching the movie. I just don't know what she would have found that she would have been like, <gasps> that it's, like, a room that has flies Besides and, like... a lot of blood. Some blood? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a wild action sequence with the snake attacking Harry and Hermione, helping yeah. him. I love in the film them 
like blasting through the wall into the like <laughs> neighbor house, the nursery of the next door house. Yeah. I thought was kind of like that transition from like dark and dim to like the fluorescent light of the nursery was kind of cool. It was interesting. They eventually get away, but Voldemort is very close behind them. Another very narrow escape. <laughs> Once again. But because of their escape, Harry's wand is now broken. And then also the Horcrux got like seared to his chest. Definitely not another allusion to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Moving on, Harry's <laughs> wand is broken. Yes. Which was the wand that he was kind of relying on to help him defeat Voldemort. Because for some reason it's like... Sentient? Automatic, yeah, and can like fight for him. Uh, so that's a big bummer. I really like this as like a midpoint yeah. in terms of like... Oh, my God. Like, yeah, they have one Horcrux, but they don't even know how they're going to destroy it. And then they went to Godric's Hollow after Ron left them. And it was just a huge setback because they got attacked. They basically accomplished nothing. And in fact, Harry broke his wand. I just like the mounting tension of this book because, like, we're almost like halfway through the book at this point. Yeah. Uh, Because the first part of this book obviously takes up. or I'm sorry. The first movie part takes up like. It's like 500 pages of the 760 page book. Yeah, it's like around two thirds or close to two thirds of like the whole novel length. Yeah. Um, So like you're like, oh, my God, they still have so much left to do. Like, how are they going to like get all this done? Yeah. After this setback, especially. So I kind of like this point in the story. Yeah. And everybody's feeling pretty low until one night Harry is standing guard and he sees a silver doe in the forest and he follows it. It's clearly a Patronus, but he doesn't know who is casting it or who has a doe as their Patronus. But he follows it to this pond that's frozen over, and he can see at the bottom of the pond is the Sword of Gryffindor. Yeah. Harry's like, he can't like, in the book, he can't Accio call it to the surface. He's like, yeah, I know, I'll just strip naked not take the locket off and just dive straight in this frozen pond. Yeah, and then the locket tries to kill him. Again, not an allusion to Lord of the Rings at all. <laughs> what are you I promise about? this is where I stop. I've never even heard of that story. <laughs> what? But just when it seems like he's about to drown, Ron is the one to save him. Yeah. Um and get the the sword mm-hmm. out of the the water. Uh, Ron has a whole long story about a ball of light touching his the heart. Deluminator. The Deluminator. Yeah. Saving him. So, like, I guess that was, like, its hidden power. And Dumbledore knew. Yeah, Dumbledore knew that Ron would bitch out. Would and... be a piece of shit. <laughs> um, but Harry is like, I think you're the one who's meant to destroy the locket. Yeah. And I will say, for as much shit as we've given Ron... Emotionally, like for his character, I do like this moment a lot. I agree. This is finally, this is like his redemption moment for Mm -hmm. everything he did that was so awful earlier. And we get to see maybe his deeper thoughts a bit in this scene as well. Because when Harry opens the locket with Parseltongue, Voldemort's voice kind of is speaking to Ron and creating these images for him to look at, saying that like... His mom didn't really want him because she had like all of these boys and then stopped when they had a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) And then like this idea that why would Hermione want to be with him when she could be with Harry and just kind of feeling like the least important member of the trio, which he 
is. He certainly is. Um, but kind of seeing into his heart a bit more. And then Ron having this moment where he overcomes that and stabs the locket and kills the shard of Voldemort's soul. I just really love visually when Ron has like stumbled back and he's like on yeah. the ground and seeing these images. Like, of course, the, the naked Harry and the Hermione. The naked Harry and Hermione. Out. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, I'm like, what was uh, like the locket's plan? That's what I'm wondering. Like, it just made Ron angry. It just goaded him on. <laughs> like, yeah, what, what are you going to do about it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do, stab me? Yeah, you're going to stab me right in the heart. <laughs> um, but like this franchise, it'll give little moments to the side characters for like their own character's growth. Yeah. But rarely is it like a moment that's like significant like this where yeah. it feels like a big step forward for a character. That they're really overcoming something. Yeah. So I really appreciated it in that regard. Yeah. And after this, Harry and Ron are kind of cool. Like mm-hmm. this restores balance between them. They're okay again. Hermione takes longer to forgive Ron, which I don't blame her for. No. But I don't love the way the book and the movie kind of portray this as kind of like a funny thing. Mm. It's kind of played for laughs that like Hermione's all like huffy and kind of like pissed off at Ron. And she's being all like sulky and like freezing him out. She's being kind of like a cold bitch towards him. Yeah. Like, I mean, she does tell him off, but it doesn't feel like they get like a moment where tension or like emotions are running a little less. Yeah. Know, or like a moment between to, them. Yeah. Where she gets to tell him like how much he you hurt, hurt her. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Hermione's emotions are taken seriously when Ron, Ron mm-hmm. returns because it's like, Oh, Harry's fine with Ron. And so Harry doesn't care that Hermione is still upset. And I just, I feel like this is kind of adding to the way that Hermione's been treated throughout this book, which is like, despite her doing everything, the book always describes her as being like crying and like being really sad and always apologizing for things that are not her fault. Like Harry's wand breaking. Yeah. Which is not her fault. Harry's the one that wanted to fucking go to Godric's <laughs> Hollow. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And she never calls him out on the stuff that Harry makes mistakes on. But Harry feels like he's always wanting to call Hermione out for her, like, quote unquote mistakes. Yeah. And this is just an ongoing theme in the series as a whole, too. I mean, it's like spew. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know. Hermione was really serious. She's being ridiculous. Yeah. But like the book just felt like it was mocking her the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just never feels like despite weirdly enough, J.K. Rowling being a woman herself. Yeah. Treating like the female character of the main trio like really just devaluing her feelings and opinions on so many things. I totally agree. Yeah, it's it's just, it, it's very unfortunate overall, especially given just how significant Hermione is to the plot of the story and like the character's survival. Absolutely. Let's go to another almost deadly situation that we'll have to escape from. <laughs> Let's go visit our friend's weird dad. Sounds fun. Yeah, they go and visit... Luna's dad, I'm not going to say his name like 30 times. Xenophilius? Xenophilius, I think, Xenophilus? yeah. Xenophilius? Luna's know. dad is honestly fewer <laughs> syllables, so. Yeah, Luna's dad. <laughs> um, because they want to talk to him about the symbol that he was wearing, which keeps cropping up in their travels and research, which he informs them is the symbol of the Deathly Hallows. Yes, we get 
the story within the story of the three brothers yeah. who encounter death. Cool animated sequence. I think this is so cool in the film. Yeah. It weirdly, you'd think it would like pull you out of the story. Mm-hmm. But it weirdly, like, when it transitions back into real life, like, it feels very seamless and well done. Yeah, I love the kind of, like, cutout silhouette style of yeah. it. Like, it is a storybook. Mm-hmm. It feels right. Yeah, it, it, it's just really cool and effective and a cool way of, like, telling this story, which is, like, very important on its own. Mm-hmm. Luna's dad wants to give them up to whoever. Voldemort, the ministry, it's all the same. Yeah. But they figure it out and are able to escape before that. Mm -hmm. Well, during it. I really love the visuals of this scene in the film when the Death Eaters arrive and are swooping around the tower and it's just like windows are blowing up. I love the shots of Luna's dad stumbling outside as the house is exploding behind him. There's just so many good visuals in this film where so much of it feels practical, integrated well with CGI. It just like the special effects of this film have aged supremely well. And I yeah. think will just always hold up super well. Definitely. It looks really cool. They do get away in the book. We have some time between now and the next like escape situation. <laughs> next escape. I am not kidding. It's just one after another. They're on the lamb. Where Harry, now that he knows about the Deathly Hallows, is like super obsessed with them and is convinced that Dumbledore meant him to find them. And he realizes that he already has the cloak, but he doesn't have the stone or the wand. And so he's trying to figure out like where the stone could be. And he has this theory that the stone was in the ring that Dumbledore destroyed that was a horcrux. And then he put the stone in the snitch, which he's right. He... Yes. But it sounds like he's raving and then he's trying to figure out where the Elder Wand could be and he's getting all these snatches of um, what Voldemort's doing and he's trying to like piece it all together. But I really like that in this part of the book, Ron and Hermione are actually kind of (laughs) concerned. Yeah. And they're like, Dumbledore told you to, to destroy the Horcruxes. Like we can't get distracted by these i these like fanciful ideas about about being the master of death yes and i will say that i think it is kind of not annoying in the book but like i don't know they're searching for like three horcruxes and then at one point they're searching for the sword of gryffindor and now they're searching for like multiple deathly hallows And I'm just kind of like, it's too much. Like, it just kind of feels like too many things on top of each other. And I don't really think it helps the plot. And I think the movie kind of handles it better in terms of like, it tells this story and then is kind of just like, obviously the wand is important. That's what Voldemort's after. They know it's powerful. But as for the cloak and the stone and being the master of death if you have all three and where those other things are. The film is just kind of like, we're not going to be concerned about that. You know, and I think it's meant to be a parallel, though, with Voldemort. Yeah. You know, because Voldemort wanted to be the master of death, right? Mm-hmm. So he created all these horcruxes. And similarly, Harry almost becomes obsessed with becoming the master of death, but in another way. Yeah. That he feels is like less evil. But it's the same desire to cheat death and to be able to move 
past it. And Harry has suffered a lot of trauma because so many people that he's been close to, that he's counted on, that he's loved, have died. And so the desire to overcome death and to have power over death feels very natural for his character. And I think it means something when at the end he decides not to go towards that path. Yes, I I totally agree with that. And I get the emotional resonancy of that not to like be talking about the second movie too much but like i do feel that a lot watching these movies Mm -hmm. and i think you're able to get that without all the discussion about like where the deathly hallows are they real aren't they is it in the snitch like where did the stone come from like what is my cloak the real cloak like let's talk about cloaks for a long time like not that long (laughs) i mean i i don't know it's just like In terms of, like, the plotting and kind of the momentum of the story, it kind of feels like a lot to kind of be introducing into the story at this point. Yeah. And to kind of be focusing on and to kind of, for you as the reader, to absorb that, like, I do think it kind of, like, grinds things to a halt a little bit. Mm. Um, Like, I, I totally agree with, like, Harry's desire to, like, conquer death, so to speak, and, like, just the, the the series's focus on death in general that I find very interesting, but I do feel that the Deathly Hallows in the at least in the book kind of are a little bit odd to me. I think I think it works, but I think the it's kind of like constant action in this book. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying, like one escape after another. So to have like a little bit more reflection time with something. I mean, maybe it's a little boring, but I did kind of like having a little more character moments. You know what I mean? Oh, With yeah. Mary, like kind of going through this and trying to figure it out. Let's move on, though, and talk about how in the movie they just apparate into a group of snatchers, which, which makes like, no sense, Ian. No. And like, OK, when they were um, attacked in the city by the, the Death, Death Eaters, Eaters There is a moment where they're like, how did they find us so quickly? Like, do you still have the trace on you? They kind of like theorize about this. Yeah. There was a scene cut from the film where Ron tells them, oh, you can't say the word. You can't say Voldemort. Yeah. Because they'll find you. They have a what what is it? Um, A curse. A taboo. It's it's taboo now. But they cut that scene. So then when they just run into the Snatchers, it feels like a continuation of that. Yeah, but they don't say it anymore. But they don't. But no, yeah, I don't think it's actually tied to the Voldemort thing, but I'm yeah. saying, like, it gives you the false impression that, like, this is tied into the same way they were discovered before, except there's no explanation for any of it. No, in the book, Harry just says Voldemort's <laughs> name for no reason uh. after months of not saying it, which is very, like, random. And I guess they just needed, the author just needed a way to get them captured. For real, this is finally a situation where they can't escape, but they do later, so... <laughs> Just give it time, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of an exciting chase scene in the film. I think it's shot well, it's exciting, I like it a lot, except I'm also like, why don't they just apparate? Yeah. But... Anyway. Any, yeah. Uh, they're taken to Malfoy Manor, mm-hmm. and Hermione is able to kind of, like, jinx Harry so his face is all fucked up, and so they're not exactly sure that it's Harry or not, and I think this part with Draco is interesting. Yeah. Because he, in the book and the movie, he's super reluctant to identify Harry, for sure. He's literally just, like, wants no part 
in what's going on. Yeah. Which I really like that about him. It's not that he cares about Harry. He just, like, doesn't want to be involved. I mean, he doesn't want to, like, be directly responsible for someone's murder. Yeah. Like, in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also like that apprehension Draco shows very clearly. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, when Bellatrix sees they have the sort of Gryffindor, she's freaking out about her vault at Gringotts. She's torturing Hermione. This scene is... So intense. I heard like the filming of it was very intense too, but like yeah. uh, Emma Watson just does a really good job at sounding like she's being tortured. Yeah. <laughs> I, and Bellatrix, of course, uh, Helena Bonham Carter is fantastic as always in this role. Mm-hmm. But Harry and Ron are thrown in the dungeon and they're like freaking out. They run into Luna and Ollivander. Yeah. And Dean. And and Dean. Yeah. In, in the book. Mm-hmm. And are trying to figure out how they can escape and help Hermione. And so Harry decides to yell at the mirror shard that he's been saving this whole time. Which again, in the movie, we have no idea what this shard no. is. No. Uh, I don't know why he does it in the book either, but... Then Dobby appears and is able to take the others to safety and Ron and Harry end up overpowering Peter Pettigrew, a.k.a. Wormtail. And I just got to say, you know, the movie is like they stun him, they move on. The book is like he has them on the ropes, kind of. He's about to, like, strangle Harry or something. And Harry's like, I saved your life, remember? And he kind of hesitates. He, like, stops strangling him. And then his metal arm, sensing weakness, strangles Wormtail. Yes. He stra- he gets strangled by his own metal arm given to him by Voldemort because he showed an ounce of kindness. I kind of love this. Yeah. I love that Voldemort wouldn't give Wormtail a present unless there was like a self-destruct. Death attached. <laughs> yeah, like mechanism involved. Uh, it was funny, though, because when we rewatched the film and I hadn't gotten to this point in the book yet. Watching it when Wormtail gets stunned and knocked out. Because, like, Wormtail was so significant in the third book. Oh, and, yeah. And here he's just, like, another henchman. Yeah. And he gets knocked out. And I remember thinking, like, I don't think we see Wormtail again in the films. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's in the last battle. I don't think we see him ever again. I'm like, how odd for that character. <laughs> and then I find out in the book, I'm like, oh, that's because he's fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, he gets murdered in this scene. Uh, but I do like it. Yeah, and then Dobby ends up saving the day again. I have to say, in the movie, when he just slowly unscrews the <laughs> chandelier, it's excellent. The comedic, like, just sound I of know. the screws going. Harry grabs a bunch of wands. Yeah. He just grabs a bunch of them. He's like, these are all mine now. And in the book, he shoots a spell at Greyback with three wands. Yeah. And it's like... Three times as powerful. I guess you should have three wands at all times. It should be like a really bad action movie where he's like someone shooting like five guns at once or whatever. Just like holding as many wands as you like Wolverine. Yeah. Like have three wands between each hand (laughs) and the fingers of each hand. (laughs) Dobby also has a great moment where he steals Narcissa's wand and he gets the whole I'm a free elf and I'm here to save my friend and. Right before These he gets definitely murdered. won't be my dying words. Right before he gets murdered by Bellatrix, throwing a knife as he brings everyone to safety to Bill and Fleur's house on the seaside. And we get a sad scene of Dobby's final moments with Harry Potter. Oh my god. It's really sad. He's so small. He is, and Harry is so devastated, again, to lose someone close to him, someone he cares about. 
I love, though, that Harry wants to bury Dobby um, without magic. Yeah, I do, too, except it just kind of cracks me up when he's like, I want to bury him right. Like, he's suddenly like, with none of that cheating magic bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to make you feel really bad because I want to no! read a part of the book. No! From this, because I thought it was very touching. So, um... And shortly afterward, he had set to work, alone, digging the grave in the place that Bill had shown him at the end of the garden, between bushes. He dug with a kind of fury, relishing the manual work, glorying in the non-magic of it, for every drop of his sweat and every blister felt like a gift to the elf who had saved their lives. His scar burned, but he was master of the pain. He felt it, yet was apart from it. He had learned control at last, learned to shut his mind to Voldemort, the very thing Dumbledore had wanted him to learn from Snape. Just as Voldemort had not been able to possess Harry while Harry was consumed with grief for Sirius, so his thoughts could not penetrate Harry now, while he mourned Dobby. Grief, it seemed, drove Voldemort out, though Dumbledore, of course, would have said it was love. How dare you do this? (laughs) (laughs) I set you up for that. (laughs) You did. (laughs) But I, I love him feeling like... The least he could do was offer his own physical sacrifice after yeah. everything that Dobby had given to them. And this feeling like a very relatable thing. Yeah, it, it, it's really touching and sweet and just so sad. Yeah. And then like kind of continuing with like what I had read here is about Harry's connection to Voldemort. Yeah. And throughout this story, very heavily in the books, not as much in the movie, kind of, it's not really addressed. Like, we know that Harry's getting flashes of what Voldemort's up to, trying to find the Elder Wand. But in the book, it's very much like, and Harry, and Hermione kind of calls Harry out on this, and oh, she's yeah. like, you need to shut your mind to him. Like, it is not healthy for you to keep getting his thoughts and feelings and being able to tap into his mind like this. And kind of asking him, she asks him straight out. She's like, do you like it? Yeah. And Harry's like, no, of course not. But then later, he's like, I do like it. Yeah, he like relies on it. Yeah. Especially just in terms of like knowing what Voldemort's up to, kind of like trying to keep tabs on him. And him feeling kind of like special. Yeah, Like it makes him feel special and set apart and different. Like he has this connection to him. He can see into his mind. He knows more about the Dark Lord than anyone else. And I think Harry is maybe starting to realize how bad that is now, finally. I mean, in this scene when he's mourning Dobby, he's able to close his mind. But as we continue reading, he's still getting flashes of Voldemort. But I think we're realizing more and more how bad bad and toxic it is and just wanted to touch on that because it's definitely going to come up in the next episode yeah speaking of uh the next episode we do get a closing part in the film of Voldemort stealing the elder wand Mm -hmm. off of Dumbledore's dead corpse yeah and shooting a blue beam into the sky yes Part two. Part two. <laughs> Let's get to part. No, I'm just kidding. So yeah, we're not going to talk about which one we liked better here. I no. think that discussion will be better in the next episode. And I don't think we mentioned it at the top, but our next episode is going to come out in only a week. You don't have to wait two weeks. No, no, it's coming out. It's coming out quick. Yeah. It's hot. It's fresh. We know you want it. We're getting it to you. You want it. We want it. We all want it. Part two. <laughs> Coming out next week. But I think we can do a little, a quick lightning round, though. I think there's a few things I wanted to mention. All right, let's do lightning round. 
So first up for lightning round in the book, uh, Harry actually gets like a flashback via like looking through Voldemort's mind. Yeah. Um, at the night his parents were killed in mm-hmm. Godric's Hollow. And it's funny because when Voldemort attacks them, both James and Lily have put their wands down. Yeah. Like they're in like the living room. They've like put their wands on silent, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you really would just want to yeah. be present with your family and you're like, put the wand away. Yes. They're like lost in the couch cushions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny because it never occurred to me until that moment. I'm like, oh, yeah. Why? Otherwise, like, couldn't they just have like apparated? Yeah. Out of the house as soon as Voldemort came? Like, wouldn't that be the first thing that you do? Yeah. So it felt like it's funny because it felt like a whole part to explain why the parents didn't apparate away. Yeah. But also, I had never even considered that until this portion of the book. So and you're like, oh, yeah, why didn't they just? Yeah, why didn't they just, like, disappear like every <laughs> wizard can do, you know? Yeah, exactly. I want to mention, too, in the book, there's some really great scenes because this story is taking place away from Hogwarts and away from a lot of our familiar characters. But we get, like, some kind of check-ins with these other characters that we're used to seeing, like we find out that Ginny and Neville and Luna tried to steal the sword of Gryffindor out of Snape's office, even though it's like a fake one that we realize later. So like there's resistance happening at Hogwarts. And then later on, Ron shows them like this radio program that's like this resistance radio. Yeah. Where like Lupin's on it, Kingsley's on it, uh, Lee Jordan, who was like the announcer at the Quidditch games. <laughs> I loved that. You know, it's just like really cool to see uh, kind of those snippets of like the world that we're familiar with. Yeah. And it's like very refreshing to Harry to be like reminded of all the people. Yeah. Just such a small little funny moment. <laughs> but when Luna's dad is telling them the story of the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. And they're like, I don't get it, but how does that tie into the symbol? And he like grabs a piece of parchment. Oh my God. And he starts drawing the symbol and he draws it so fucking slowly. Oh my God. We were both like, why is he drawing so slow? <laughs> he like draws like the, the downstroke and he's like the elder wand. And then slowly the circle. <laughs> and he's like, the resurrection stone. And then I would have just stopped. I'm like, I get it. I get it. Yeah, the yeah, triangle yeah, okay, is the, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Okay. So I also want to just briefly mention, they say that goblins speak, the language that they speak is called gobbledygook. Yeah. Which means gibberish. It's another word for gibberish. So either JK Rowling is saying that goblins speak nonsense or that's just the literal name of their language either way i just don't love it 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 sure sounds dismissive of an entire like species species of people like within the universe yeah don't love it (laughs) (laughs) that is lightning round for harry potter and the deathly hallows part one part one We will see you next episode in only a week for part two. And we already mentioned all our Patreon stuff at the top. So again, if you're thinking about joining, now is the perfect time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you soon. Bye. Bye.